This CosmicReality.com presentation is sponsored by MysticalWares.com. Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, on Twitter, at Coach Jan Shaw, and Truth Social, Success Alchemist, Telegram, US UK Patriot. Today is the 20th of August, 2022, and the title of today's show is FBI Raid Update, Liz Cheney Annihilated, Was Anne Hesh Murdered? So I'm going to start this week by filling in on what's happened about the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago um, since I reported on it last Saturday. And some interesting news coming out about this. Um, X-22, as usual, has reported on it. And I just want to cover a few points that Dave of X-22 covered. Um, the deep state was trying to provoke Trump supporters to violence and create another so-called insurrection. Interestingly, the FBI now has barriers around its DC headquarters. Interesting. Maybe they're expecting Trump supporters to turn up in droves to protest. Uh, Eric Trump has video on the FBI raid from the security cameras and will release it at the appropriate time, whenever that might be. Um, was the raid to seize the unclassified documents about Crossfire Hurricane, which implicates the FBI? The other thing that happened this week was there was a hearing about releasing the affidavit that was the justification for the, um, for the raid. And... I understand that the judge has said they cannot keep the whole thing secret, that they can redact some parts of it, but they have to release uh, a redacted version. So we'll see how that plays out. So I'm going to start with an Epoch Times article. Uh, this was published yesterday and updated today, actually. Uh, Spygate docks and Trump's RICO lawsuit exploring the real reasons behind the FBI raid. Following the FBI's raid of the residence of former President Donald Trump, there's been much speculation about the Department of Justice's motivation. Was it done to prevent Trump from running again in 2024? Or was the raid related to documents and evidence surrounding the January 6th commission? While these factors may have had some bearing on the FBI's raid, some entirely different and potentially larger factors may be at play. It is likely that the FBI's raid on Trump was driven by intelligence community fears 
over information that was contained within those documents relating to the Russiagate hoax. The DOJ's coordinated FBI raid of Trump was likely related to the potential unsealing and public presentation of this information, particularly in relation to Trump's Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, RICO suit, against Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and former FBI officials like former Director James Comey, former Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, former Agent Peter Strzok, and former FBI lawyer Lisa Page, and his amended RICO suit, which added more defendants. As new information has come to light, we've gained increased confidence and now feel even more strongly regarding this theory. The vast breadth and scope of the search warrant alone have bolstered this theory, but that's far from being the only reason behind our belief. An August 17th article from Newsweek included some remarkable statements from two sources within the intelligence community. One of these sources noted that, quote, agents went into Trump's residence on the pretext that they were seeking all government documents, but the true target was this private stash, end quote, of documents amassed by Trump, quote, which Justice Department officials feared Trump might weaponize, end quote. The second intelligence community source claimed that although the FBI supposedly, quote, collected everything that rightfully belonged to the U.S. government, end quote, the true target of the DOJ-led FBI raid was, quote, these documents that Trump had been collecting since early in his administration, end quote. Both so- sources note that the, quote, sought-after documents deal with a variety of intelligence matters of interest, end quote, to Trump, quote, including material that Trump apparently thought would exonerate him of any claims of Russian collusion in 2016 or any other election-related charges, end quote. In other words, documents that Trump had collected and held within his possession that proved the Russiagate hoax was exactly that, a hoax. One that was led by officials from within our nation's highest institutions, including, but not limited to, the FBI and the DOJ. Although we're generally not in the habit of giving much, if any, heed to sources within the intelligence community, These particular revelations overlay with our own theory and the information we've come across. As we shall see from events in the timeline, Trump's actions and the documents he amassed over time appear to have presented a very direct threat to the agencies that lie behind our government, prompting an institutional response that manifested itself in the FBI's August 8th raid of Mar-a-Lago. In particular, the RICO suit brought by Trump in 2022 presented a potential vehicle for these documents to make their way into the public realm. On January 19, 2021, then-President Trump declassified, quote, a binder of materials related to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Crossfire Hurricane Investigation, End quote. Although he also accepted some, quote, redactions proposed for continued classification by the FBI, end quote. Importantly, Trump also stated that, quote, at my direction, 
the Attorney General has conducted an appropriate review to ensure that materials provided in the binder may be disclosed by the White House in accordance with applicable law, end quote. In other words, the DOJ was aware and had at some point reviewed all the documents contained in the binder that Trump declassified. As we know, Attorney General Merrick Garland's DOJ has, quote, failed to declassify a single page, end quote, of those documents. Fast forward to mid-January of 2022. According to a February 7th statement by the National Archives, NARA, NARA arranged for the transport of 15 boxes that contain presidential records from Mar-a-Lago, quote, following discussions with President Trump's representatives in 2021, end quote. Trump stated that the discussions were, quote, collaborative and respectful, end quote, and said it was a, quote, great honor, end quote, to work with the National Archives. His representatives also told the agency they would continue to look for more presidential records. Shortly thereafter, on February 14th, NARA claimed in a statement that some of the Trump presidential records received by the National Archives and Records Administration included paper records that had been torn up by former President Trump. The very next day, February 15th, 2022, Senators Grassley, Republican Iowa, and Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, sent a letter to Garland stating that the DOJ has so far refused to comply with Trump's declassification order that he issued in January 2021. The letter noted that, quote, the Justice Department has not only failed to declassify a single page, the department has failed to identify for Congress records that it knows with certainty to be covered by the declassification directive, end quote. Grassley told Garland that the DOJ must, quote, identify the records subject to the declassification order and second, produce those records to Congress and the American people without improper redactions, end quote. Three days later, in a letter sent by NARA archivist David Ferriero to the politicized House Oversight and Reform Committee, Ferriero stated that NARA has identified items marked as classified national security information within the boxes. Bear in mind that as president, Trump held ultimate authority on whether the documents were classified. Also keep in mind that letter from Grassley just three days earlier, noting that the DOJ had thus far refused to comply with Trump's declassification order. A week later, the House Oversight Committee demanded that NARA turn over additional information, including an inventory of the boxes recovered from Mar-a-Lago and information on any classified documents, as well as documents from the Trump administration related to the former president's destruction of records. As this game was playing out, Trump was in the process of compiling his original RICO suit. Trump, on March 24th, formally filed his RICO suit, which stated that, that, quote, the defendants maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative, end quote, that Trump was, quote, colluding with a hostile foreign sovereignty, end quote, namely Russia. Trump's lawsuit stated that, quote, the actions taken in furtherance of their scheme 
falsifying evidence, deceiving law enforcement and exploiting access to highly sensitive data sources are so outrageous, subversive and incendiary that even the events of Watergate pale in comparison, end quote. For the next two months, things stayed relatively quiet. Then on May 31st, Grassley sent the first of four letters to FBI Director Ray and A.G. Garland. Grassley levelled a very serious allegation, noting that, quote, while serving in a highly sensitive role that includes threshold decision-making over which federal public corruption matters are open for investigation, end quote, the assistant special agent in charge at the Washington Field Office, Timothy Tybalt, violated federal regulations and department guidelines designed to prevent political bias from infecting FBI matters. Grassley told Ray and Garland that actions by Tybalt undermine, quote, both the FBI and DOJ because at minimum it creates the perception of unequal application of the law, end quote. On June 3rd, just three days after Grassley's letter to Ray, FBI agents went to Mar-a-Lago and inspected the storage facility and its containment of documents held by Trump. According to reports, Jay Bratt, the top counterintelligence official at the DOJ's National Security Division, quote, personally inspected the storage facility while interacting with both Trump and one of his lawyers, end quote. Trump reportedly, quote, allowed the three FBI agents Bratt brought with him to open boxes in the storage room and look through them, end quote. These FBI agents reportedly left with some of the documents. Bratt also requested, quote, increased security at the facility and asked to see surveillance footage from the security cameras, end quote. A lawyer for Trump complied with these requests. This sequence is important as it demonstrates the DOJ and FBI either knew or had a very good idea of what they were seizing in their August 8th raid. It also makes some of the leaks made to the media, which claim that Trump was endangering national security, seem somewhat ridiculous in hindsight. If the FBI was aware of Trump's possession of such material, or could accuse him of endangering national security, they would have done so on the spot during the June 3rd visit to Mar-a-Lago. At a minimum, the FBI could have responded with a warrant in the days immediately following the visit. Instead, several months went by before the DOJ and FBI elected to raid Mar-a-Lago. As we shall see, there were some significant events that followed the FBI's June 3rd visit. The first of these events took place on June 21st, 2022, when Trump filed an amended RICO suit against Clinton and a large number of other DNC-related individuals who were involved in the Russiagate hoax. The new suit, at 193 pages in length, was significantly more robust and detailed than Trump's original March 24th RICO suit and included additional defendants. On the very same day, Kash Patel, a former Trump administration official who's worked diligently to get Trump's declassified documents released, announced on a podcast that he was officially a representative for Trump at the National Archives. Patel said it was his intention to, quote, identify every single document that they blocked from being declassified, end quote. 
Patel stated that he, quote, would start putting that information out next week, end quote. The following day, June 22nd, Magistrate Bruce Reinhardt suddenly recused himself from Trump's suit against Clinton and company. Just 44 days later, after his unexpected recusal from Trump's RICO case against Clinton, Reinhardt personally signed the search warrant to raid Mar-a-Lago. On July 14th, there was another surprise development in Trump's RICO case against Clinton and company. In a motion put forth by Juan Gonzalez, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Florida, it was requested that, quote, the United States shall be substituted as the party defendant, end quote. In other words, the DOJ wanted to substitute itself as the defendant for James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page and Kevin Kleinsmith. The motion claimed that Trump's RICO claims were, quote, based upon conduct within the scope of these former FBI employees' employment with the government, end quote, and stated that, quote, the United States is the sole and exclusive defendant for those claims, end quote. The motion also requested that if the substitution was accepted, quote, the court should dismiss the United States for lack of subject matter jurisdiction, end quote. The motion noted that since Trump had not exhausted his administrative remedies, the court lacked subject matter jurisdiction and should therefore dismiss the case after substituting the United States as the defendant. The DOJ was manoeuvring to place itself into Trump's RICO suit and then have Trump's suit dismissed. This tactic was actually successful, at least in part. Apologies for the background noise of raindrops on my roof, but it's just started raining. Okay, carrying on. On July 22nd, trial judge Donald Middlebrooks granted the motion to substitute, replacing Comey, McCabe, Strock, Page and Kleinsmith with the United States as defendant. Interesting we haven't seen any of this on the news. Middlebrooks cited the Westfall Act, which quote, accords federal employees absolute immunity from common law tort claims arising out of acts they undertake in the course of their official duties, end quote. Middlebrook deferred ruling on dismissal and noted that Trump was entitled to, quote, litigate the question of whether the employees were acting within the scope of their employment when the challenged conduct occurred, end quote. The DOJ had successfully inserted itself into Trump's RICO suit, bringing with it all the legal weight and firepower held by the US government. It's worth noting that the information previously declassified by Trump is directly relevant to his suit, and the DOJ, which has stalled its release, is now in the official legal position of fighting against its release in court. Amidst this manoeuvring by the DOJ, Grassley sent a second letter to Ray and Garland on July 18th. Grassley told both men that allegations by a number of, quote, highly credible whistleblowers, end quote, have prompted, quote, fundamental questions about whether the Justice Department and FBI are properly fulfilling their combined law enforcement mission with impartiality and without fraud, abuse and gross mismanagement, end quote. One week later, on July 25th, Grassley issued a press release containing letters to Ray and Garland stating that information Grassley had received, quote, 
involves concerns about the FBI's receipt and use of derogatory information relating to Hunter Biden and the FBI's false portrayal of acquired evidence as disinformation, end quote, referring to the son of President Joe Biden. Grassley said that, quote, if these allegations are true and accurate, the Justice Department and FBI are and have been institutionally corrupt to their very core, end quote. Shortly thereafter, on August 4th, Trump filed in opposition to Judge Middlebrook's ruling to substitute the United States, in other words, the DOJ, for Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Page and Kleinsmith. Trump also filed in opposition to Clinton's earlier motion to dismiss the entirety of the RICO complaint against her and her fellow defendants, which included the DNC and familiar names such as lawyers Mark Elias and Michael Sussman, Representative Adam Schiff, former journalist Glenn Simpson, former DOJ official Bruce Orr, and his wife Nellie Orr. The very next day, August the 5th, Reinhardt signed the FBI search warrant for Trump's Mar-a-Lago property. Garland later stated in his press conference that he personally approved the decision to seek a search warrant. Trump's Mar-a-Lago property was raided three days later on August 8th. We know the search warrant was not focused, as Garland had stated. In fact, it was extremely broad and included any presidential records from Trump's entire term in office. It's also worth repeating that the DOJ knew what documents Trump was holding after their June 3rd visit. The DOJ also knew everything that lay within the binder that Trump had ordered to be declassified, as Trump sent the binder to the DOJ for declassification processing. If the DOJ had evidence of specific crimes, they would not have used such a broad and vague warrant. It was a targeted fishing expedition designed to capture any and all information relating to the Russiagate hoax. At the exact time the DOJ is defending their actions taken in the Russiagate hoax in court against Trump's RICO case. On August 17th, Grassley sent a fourth letter to FBI Director Ray stating that, quote, a deeply rooted political infection has spread to investigative activity into former President Trump and Hunter Biden, end quote. To date, the FBI has failed to address the concerns raised by Grassley and has failed to produce his requested records. So that's the end of that story, and it, it certainly makes sense to me. And then another article by Epoch Times really backs this up. Add, adds weight to the theory. FBI unit leading Mar-a-Lago probe earlier ran discredited Trump-Russia investigation. This was published yesterday. The FBI division overseeing the investigation of former President Trump's handling of classified material at his Mar-a-Lago residence is also a focus of special counsel John Durham's investigation of the Bureau's alleged abuses of power and political bias during its years-long Russiagate probe of Trump. The FBI's nine-hour, 30-agent raid of the former president's Florida estate is part of a counterintelligence case run out of Washington, not Miami, as has been widely reported, according to FBI case documents and sources with knowledge of the matter. The Bureau's counterintelligence division led the 2016-2017 Russia collusion investigation of Trump, codenamed Crossfire Hurricane. 
Although the former head of Crossfire Hurricane, Peter Strzok, was fired after the disclosure of his vitriolic anti-Trump tweets, several members of his team remain working in the counterintelligence unit, the sources say, even though they are under active investigation by both Durham and the Bureau's disciplinary arm, the Office of Professional Responsibility. The FBI declined to respond to questions about any role they may be taking in the Mar-a-Lago case. In addition, a key member of the Crossfire team, Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian Orton, has continued to be involved in politically sensitive investigations, including the ongoing federal probe of potentially incriminating content found on the abandoned laptop of President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, according to recent correspondence between the Senate Judiciary Committee and FBI Director Christopher Wray. FBI whistleblowers have alleged that Orton tried to falsely discredit derogatory evidence against Hunter Biden during the 2020 campaign by labelling it Russian disinformation, an assessment that caused investigative activity to cease. Orton has been allowed to work on sensitive cases even though he has been under internal investigation since 2019, when Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz referred him for disciplinary review for his role in vetting a Hillary Clinton campaign-funded dossier used by the FBI to obtain a series of wiretap warrants to spy on former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. Horowitz singled out Orton for cutting a number of corners in the verification process and even allowing information he knew to be incorrect slip into warrant affidavits and mislead the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act Court. In congressional testimony this month, Ray confirmed that, quote, a number of former Crossfire Hurricane team members are still employed at the Bureau while undergoing disciplinary review. In the meantime, Ray has walled off the former Russiagate investigators only from participating in Pfizer wiretap applications, according to the sources. Senator Chuck Grassley, the ranking Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, has asked Ray for copies of recent case files and reports generated by Orton and whether he is included among the team the FBI has assembled to determine which of the seized Trump records fall within the scope of its counter-espionage investigation and which fall outside of it. Some former FBI officials worry that Orton, a top bureau expert, on Russia and nuclear warfare, will have a hand in analysing the boxes of documents agents seized from Trump's home on August 8th to help determine if any of the alleged top-secret material he kept there might have been compromised, potentially putting national security at risk. It is a disgrace that Alton is still even employed by the Bureau, said 27-year FBI veteran Michael Biasello, I would substitute other analysts and agents. An examination of the Bureau agents involved in the Mar-a-Lago raid reveals other connections between them and FBI officials who played key roles in advancing the Russiagate hoax. Sources told Real Clear Investigations that Jay Bratt, the top counterintelligence official in Justice's National Security Division, who happens to be a Democratic National Committee donor, has been coordinating the Mar-a-Lago investigation with Alan Kohler, who heads the FBI's counterintelligence division. 
Cola replaced Bill Priestup in that post after Priestup stepped down from the Bureau amid criticism of his role in the Russiagate probe. Cola had worked at FBI headquarters under Priestup, specialising in countering Russian intelligence threats. Before that, he worked in London as the FBI's liaison with British intelligence and law enforcement. The sources say Kohler was close to Stefan Halper, an academic and long-time FBI contractor whom the Bureau ran as an informant in a failed effort to suborn Trump campaign officials. He also worked closely with Stephen Sommer, a lead case agent in the Crossfire Hurricane probe, whom Horowitz said was, quote, primarily responsible, end quote, for some of the worst misconduct in the, in the Pfizer warrant abuse scandal. Sommer is a counterintelligence investigator in the FBI's New York field office, where he has been reassigned to the China desk. In 2019, Kohler was promoted to special agent in charge of the counterintelligence division at the FBI's Washington field office, where he worked alongside then-assistant agent in charge, Timothy Tybalt, who was reassigned by Ray just days prior to the Mar-a-Lago raid after whistleblowers raised questions about political bias. They asserted that Tybalt, who has taken aim at Trump and Republicans on social media, worked with Orton to falsely discredit evidence of alleged money laundering and other activities against Hunter Biden and prevent agents from investigating them. The Washington Field Office's counterintelligence division is now run by Anthony Reedlinger, who previously worked at FBI headquarters as a section chief under Priestap. Some of the agents involved in the raid on Trump's home came from that Washington field office, according to the sources and FBI case documents. Brad, the top counterintelligence official at Justice, travelled to Mar-a-Lago in early June and personally inspected the storage facility while interacting with both Trump and one of his lawyers. Trump allowed the three FBI agents Brat brought with him to open boxes in the storage room and look through them. They left with some documents. After leaving, Brat made a request to Trump's lawyer for increased security at the facility and asked to see surveillance footage from the security cameras. The lawyer complied with the request. Months went by before the Justice Department took the politically explosive step of sending FBI agents unannounced to Trump's home, seizing documents, photos and other items, not just from the storage facility, but from multiple rooms on the property, including the former president's office. Former assistant FBI director Chris Swacker said the search warrant that agents obtained is quite wide-ranging. He pointed out that it authorised the seizure of any information in any form related to, quote, national defence information, end quote, which he said, quote, does not necessarily include classified material, end quote. This is a huge, broad search warrant and a huge, broad investigation levelled against the former president, Swecker said. What's more, he said the physical search of the former president's residence was far more sweeping than first reported and included unsupervised snooping in several dozen bedrooms, as well as numerous storage rooms and closets, including those of the former First Lady. FBI agents took numerous boxes and containers of documents and other material, including several binders of photos and even three passports held by the former president.
Although Attorney General Merrick Garland has said that the DOJ seeks to narrowly scope any search that is undertaken, details of the warrant reveal agents had the authority to seize entire boxes of records, including those potentially covered by attorney-client privilege and executive privilege, if just a single document inside the container were marked with a classified marking. Agents were allowed to also seize any containers or boxes found together with ones containing classified papers, according to attachment B, property to be seized, of the warrant. In addition, the FBI agents were given the authority to confiscate, quote, any government and or presidential records created between January 20th, 2017 and January 20th, 2021 which covers Trump's full term in office. That meant they were able to take any item related to the Trump administration. All told, dozens of boxes and containers were removed from Trump's residence, very few of which actually contained classified information, the sources said. According to Federal Election Commission records, Bratt has given exclusively to Democrats, including at least $800, to the Democratic National Committee. The sources said he is close to David Loafman, whom he replaced as the top counterintelligence official at Justice. An Obama donor, Loafman, helped oversee the Russiagate probe, as well as the Clinton email case, which also involved classified information. A Senate investigator told RCI now that's real clear investigations, that Laufman was the mastermind behind the strategy to dust off and weaponize the rarely enforced statutory relic, the Foreign Agents Registration Act against Trump campaign officials, a novel legal move that the investigator noted is similar to the department's current attempts to enforce the Presidential Records Act against Trump, which is a civil, not a criminal statute, by invoking the Espionage Act of 1917. Loafman signed off on the wiretapping of Trump campaign advisor Carter Page, which the Department of Justice Inspector General determined was conducted under false pretenses involving doctored email, suppression of exculpatory evidence and other malfeasance. Suddenly resurfacing as a media surrogate for the Justice Department defending the Mar-a-Lago raid, Laufman has been a key source for stories by the Washington Post, CNN and other outlets. On CNN, for instance, he claimed the documents seized from Trump's storage were, quote, particularly stunning and particularly egregious, end quote, and their discovery, quote, completely validates the government's investigation, end quote, into the former president, though he quickly added, Quote, whether this investigation transforms into an outright criminal prosecution remains to be seen, end quote. Swecker said that there is strong reason to fear that the FBI's counterintelligence division might politicise this case. For sure, the FBI has dug themselves into a huge hole because of how they handled the Clinton email case and then crossfire Hurricane and Hunter Biden, Swecker said. Myself and many of my colleagues think they are treading on very thin ice here. Unfortunately, he added, you can't recuse an entire FBI division. Patel, it's just insane. Former federal prosecutor and Trump administration official Cash Patel 
said the FBI may have a personal interest in a potential conflict in seizing the records stored by Trump. He noted that Trump in October 2020 authorised the declassification of all the investigative records generated from the FBI's crossfire hurricane, as well as the Clinton email investigation, codenamed Mid-Year Exam. And he said that the FBI may have confiscated some of those records in its raid, ensuring they won't be made public. In addition, he said, the agency may be digging for other documents to try to justify retroactively their questionable politically tinged 2016 opening of the Trump-Russia collusion case, which came up embarrassingly short on evidence. Quote, tragically, the same FBI characters that were involved in Russiagate are the same counterintel guys running this national security investigation against Trump said Patel, who deposed Crossfire Hurricane team members as a former House Intelligence Committee investigator. Patel noted that the Horowitz report indicated FBI analyst Oten hid exculpatory information about Trump's advisor Page from other investigators and the FISA court, which should be more than enough to keep him at arm's length from other investigations involving Trump. And to top it all off, this guy admits to Horowitz investigators he's unrepentant about his role in making up the biggest hoax in election history. And Ray still lets him be a supervisor at the FBI, he said. It's just insane. The Justice Department's National Security Division has ultimate authority over the grand jury probe of Trump for possible violations of the Espionage Act, including alleged mishandling of classified material, the same statutes invoked in the Clinton email investigation. In that case, in contrast, the FBI never searched the former Secretary of State's Chappaqua, New York mansion, where she set up an unsecured basement server to send and receive at least 110 classified emails, and where she also received government documents by fax. Former FBI counterintelligence official and lawyer Mark Woke said he is troubled by signs that the same cast of characters from the Russiagate scandal appears to be involved in the Mar-a-Lago investigation. If these people who are part of a major hoax that involve criminal activity and displays of bias and seriously flawed judgment are still involved, then that's a major scandal, he said in an interview. So I do feel that um, really backs up the theory in the previous article that this is all being used to try and protect their backs, as it were, from the lawsuits that are in progress, both from Durham and um, Trump's civil suit. We'll see how things develop. Moving on now to the news of Liz Cheney's annihilation. And, of course, the primary was held on Tuesday of this week, and it was an amazing victory for the non-rhino Hagman. Here's the report from Just the News. Cheney loses primary re-election bid to Trump-backed Hageman in Wyoming. Cheney's loss was widely expected after trailing by double digits for most of her campaign. Wyoming GOP rep Liz Cheney lost her bid Tuesday night for a fourth term, becoming the most high-profile Republican to vote to impeach former President Trump over the January 6th Capitol riot 
and lose re-election this year. Cheney was defeated by Trump-backed attorney Harriet Hageman in the Wyoming GOP primary. The Associated Press officially called the race for Hageman at 10.21pm. Cheney conceded the race, saying, Tonight, Harriet Hageman has received the most votes in this primary. She won. I called her to concede the race. This primary election is over, but now the real work begins. Hageman had 65% of the vote, compared to 31% for Cheney, with 67% of the votes counted, the wire service reported shortly before midnight. Cheney's loss was widely expected after trailing by double digits for most of her campaign. The 56-year-old Cheney's congressional seat is the only one in Wyoming, and Hageman is expected to win in November, considering the state is regarded as one of the most conservative in the country. Trump won the state in 2020 with nearly 70% of the vote. Cheney, among the most outspoken Trump critics, is also a vice chairperson of the Democrat-led House Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot. Quote, two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote, Cheney also said in her concession speech. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear, but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. Hageman on the Fox News Channel thanked the great people across the state, as well as other supporters and her campaign volunteers, Hageman said that she wasn't surprised by her rival's concession speech. It doesn't surprise me that she would revert to those same old talking points, Hageman said, because that was really a large part of what got her defeated. Cheney is one of 10 congressional Republicans who voted to impeach Trump after the riot. Four, including Cheney, have lost re-election in 2022, four have retired, and two still have upcoming races. On Tuesday night, Cheney also seemed to compare herself to President Abraham Lincoln. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all, she said. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union and he defined our obligations as Americans for all of history. So, having been completely annihilated by Harriet Hageman, she's now delusionally thinking that she can run for president and win. <laughs> I think she needs a head reading. Anyway, we can all celebrate that she lost, definitely, with her despicable behaviour on the unselect committee. And she'll, she's still saying she'll do anything she can to stop Trump from getting back into the White House. So... Um, not the nicest of characters. So on to the strange death of Anne Hesch. And there's been a lot of activity on social media questioning the strange happenings and whether she was actually murdered. And I found a, an article by Evie magazine. And it said, do the strange deaths of Anne Hesch Anthony Bourdain and Avicii have anything to do with child trafficking. This was on the 18th. Actress Anne Hesch recently passed away in a car crash. Is it possible that her film on human trafficking had something to do with it? Years ago, 
The idea of child sex trafficking existing within Hollywood and the government was deemed as nothing more than a right-wing conspiracy theory. It wasn't until Jeffrey Epstein made headlines did people start to open their eyes to the horrors of child abuse perpetrated by the so-called elites. Epstein's flight logs showed the names of powerful figures like Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, Kevin Spacey and Prince Andrew. Um, I would just point out here that Donald Trump never flew on the Lolita Express, as she's as they're about to say. He just went on a flight to New York using uh, Epstein's plane, and this was before he was actually accused of um, child sex trafficking or sex offences when he was then thrown out of Mar-a-Lago by Trump. So we'll strike that part, I think. Um, All of them purportedly flew on Lolita Express. As I said, that wasn't true. Epstein's infamous private jet that he used to transport underage girls in. Many of us are also aware of the notorious Ghislaine Maxwell, the British sex offender and former socialite who trafficked children for Epstein. In more recent news, Jeanette McCurdy's I'm Glad My Mum Died gained traction in the media, a memoir that details the heartbreaking abuse she faced by her own mother. McCurdy also wrote about her experience as a child actress for Nickelodeon and how the network offered her $300,000 in an attempt to silence her, which she bravely declined. After McCurdy's book went viral, old clips from the two Nickelodeon shows directed by Dan Schneider, Victorious and Salmon Cat, resurfaced. The disturbing scenes showed underage actresses getting sexualized and many of them were made to expose their feet on camera. With more stories coming out on the horrors of being an underage actor on set, we can safely assume that child exploitation within Hollywood is no longer a conspiracy theory, but rather an observable and undeniable fact. But why don't all celebrities talk about the sexualization of children in Hollywood or the child sex trafficking that takes place daily? Perhaps they're afraid, and justifiably so, because there seem to be similarities among the famous individuals who chose to reveal the hidden truths about child sex trafficking. Many of them died abruptly under mysterious circumstances. Others may quickly brush off the notion of foul play being involved in these celebrity deaths, so let's investigate further. Anne Hesh. Anne Hesh's car crashed into a house and then burst into flames on August 5th of this year. The LAPD spokeswoman, Officer Eisenman, reported that Hesh was the only occupant in the vehicle, but authorities couldn't confirm she was the one driving. How odd. Hesh was said to lose conscious shortly after the crash, yet this footage shows otherwise. And a tweet from Alias looks more like a kidnapping than a rescue to me. No C-spine collar, no oxygen mask, no spinal board, no IV lines, no one by her head monitoring her airway, and she's trying to jump off the stretcher. R.I.P. Anne Hesh. Videos like the one above have been uploaded online from multiple angles, all showcasing Anne bursting out of a body bag while being carried on a gurney. Is it possible that she survived the crash? Anne Hesch worked in several dystopian films that strangely parallel our current reality. 
Prior to her death, Hesh starred in Girl in Room 13, a movie inspired by the real-life events of human sex trafficking. The distressing film is about a girl named Grace, played by actress Larissa Dias, who is held captive in a hotel room by her former drug dealer. Her captor tries to break her down by forcing her to take drugs, drink, and by starving her so that she complies with getting trafficked. This isn't the only shocking film Hesh has played a role in. In 2008, Anne Hesh played a doctor in a movie called Toxic Skies. As a medical specialist from the Global Health Association, hmm, World Health Organization, she uncovers the truth about a viral epidemic that killed people at an alarming speed. In the movie, the president declared a national emergency, forcing all of Seattle to go under quarantine. And just what was the cause of the mysterious disease that ravaged the immune systems of innocent victims, you ask? Well, as the title of the film suggests, the cause of the deadly epidemic was due to the toxic chemtrails the government imposed on its own populace. The article does go on to explain more about these other suspicious deaths come supposed suicide. But I want to stick with the story of Anne Hesch because, interestingly, um, Congresswoman Jackie Walorski was working with Anne Hesch on child sex trafficking and she was killed in a car accident the week before and the story around the car accident is very suspicious. Police change account of crash killing Indiana rep Walorski. This was on August the 4th and it's from AP News. Indianapolis AP. Police have changed their description of the crash that killed Indiana Republican U.S. Representative Jackie Walorski, saying Thursday that it was the SUV in which she was a passenger that crossed a state highway centerline and caused the head-on collision. Walorski and two members of her congressional staff died in the Wednesday afternoon crash in northern Indiana, along with the woman driving the other vehicle, the Elkhart County Sheriff's Office said. The department's initial account was that the car driven by Edith Schmucker, 56, Napanee, Indiana, crossed into the SUV's path. But the office released a statement Thursday saying investigators had talked with witnesses and viewed video evidence that their preliminary determination of which direction the vehicles were travelling was incorrect. Well... To, to me, how can you make, make such a fundamental mis mistake of the car, which car was going in the wrong direction? I mean, it's, it seems pretty basic to me. Um, investigators determined that the SUV driven by Zachary Potts, 27, and Mishawaka, Indiana, crossed the center line for unknown reasons in a rural area near the town of Wakarusa. Potts was Walorski's district director and the Republican chairman for northern Indiana's St. Joseph County. Also killed was Emma Thompson, 28, of Washington, D.C., who was Walorski's communications director. Now, I'm not going to continue with this article. I just want to point out a couple of other things. One of the things that we do know is that cars can actually be taken over and controlled um, with the modern electronics that they have. And there have been previous deaths with 
un, unexplained uh, single vehicle crashes into trees and goodness knows what else. So I think we've already seen that this can happen. Now, potentially, Woloski's car may have been controlled and made to go into the other carriageway. And also, there is a doorbell video of Anne Hesh's car speeding down the road um, outside the house. Now, the odd thing about this is she first of all crashed into an apartment building and people were trying to get her out of the car. Well, she just went into reverse and then sped off. Now, this video showing the car at speed going down this road, actually the sound, it, what people have said is it sounds like there are brakes squealing as if she's trying to stop this car from going so fast. It was purportedly 90 or 100 miles an hour. And then, of course, crashing into this house where it caused the whole house to, to be destroyed by fire. So the whole thing, as well as the video of her on the gurney, is very, very suspect. And we know that some of these demonic people will stop at nothing to um, stop the exposure of their um, child sex trafficking. I'm going to finish on a, a more uplifting note here. There have been quite a few posts on social media by um, Peppy Lives Matter and other people who are basically saying, don't get disheartened. We are winning. You know, we've got to keep our eye on the prize, as I always say, and trust the plan, etc., etc. And I thought I'd end with a um, an article from Peppy Lives Matter, and that was yesterday. And he has a a, a Substack account, PeppyLivesMatter.Substack.com. He calls it Peppy's Friend Zone. And it says, an encouraging word for the weary heart. I know that there's a lull in the news cycle right now, so it would seem like a good time to encourage everyone to look from an eagle's eye view. I'm not sure I agree on a lull in the news cycle because we've got all this about the FBI raid, etc., etc. Anyway, don't get caught up too much in this transition period. Don't let yourself feel too discouraged. Keep focusing on what God is calling you to do each and every day. The enemy wants you to become distraught at the pace because the speed is not what you might prefer. He wants to take advantage of that feeling and use it to put shackles around your feet. The truth is that we are right on track, even if it may not feel as though this is the case. I believe when you lift up your faith, you will see the same thing. When Moses brought the people out of shackles, they had many seasons of struggle and hardship until they finally found a way to the promised land. We are living in such a profound moment where what was before is now happening on a global scale. The central bankers, the World Economic Forum, the bloodline elite and others all consider themselves to be our rulers. They do not care about the will of the people and they openly mock God. Many of them will not repent. They will simply charge forward like lemmings off a cliff. If there are lessons to be learned from Exodus, it would behoove you to take heed and apply those to today. The temptation is to become discouraged, even as God is setting you free. That's what the Israelites themselves often fell into, because the enemy does not want to concede any ground. 
He does not want you to have rest. So the struggle becomes tangible and we can often become disheartened. Keeping your eyes on God and the big picture whenever possible will bring you some measure of relief. Think about how global this truly is. You've been living in a literal matrix. A facade of freedom has been crafted for the sheep to placate them into compliance, but no more. They are going full bore with their plan, even as major chinks in their army have left them vulnerable, even as the Great Awakening reaches unheard of heights. They persist on. The enemy believes he is well on his way to achieving ultimate victory and total enslavement of the masses. What he doesn't realise is that God knows that he's on his way to bring heaven on earth and freeing the masses. God is the ultimate judo master. He uses all the moves the enemy makes and turns them back around against him. He's proving a point. He deserves to be God and the Luciferian cabal has no place in our society. They will be purged from our land and the best truly will be yet to come. This is a crossroads in human history. Never forget that as you take each step into that glorious new future, never let the bountiful blessings promised to you be taken out of view. Keep your head up, dear reader, and remember just how biblical this all is. You are a warrior created to live in a moment such as this. And he also put out a telegram, um, and this was shared on Facebook, um, ultra peppy lives matter. If they actually indict Trump, my response will be, someone please get me another bag of popcorn. I no longer allow anything to phase me on this journey. We've been through hell and back. We're battle hardened. Our faith has been tested and yet here we still stand. God woke us up for a reason that being the calm during the storm is an integral reason, nay, the essential reason. I've become so determined to believe that nothing can stop what is coming, that nothing will shake me, period. If you feel the same way, then I commend you. I refuse to budge. God put that faith in me and I guard it like a treasure. So I think it's fairly obvious that we are in the storm, um, that uh, Trump was asked about when he was with the military and so on. This was way back, wasn't it? Um, the reporter asked him, what storm, Mr. Trump? And he said, you will find out. So I think it's fairly <laughs> evident that we are in that storm now with the attacks on Trump, the attempts to really prevent him from ever running again or being president again. But as the article from Peppy Lives Matter says, you know, everything uh, boomerangs on them. They've, they've created this unity now within the MAGA supporters because of the outrage about the FBI raid. So they've really shot themselves in the foot there. As I said last week, Trump had had the biggest fundraising uh, results after the raid and he is fighting on. He's not perturbed by any of this at all. And he's absolutely supported by all of us who know how criminal these opposition people are. So I think when we get to the uh, next Durham trial in October, and of course the um, civil suit that I've talked about, well, the Epoch Times reported on, um, 
against Hillary Clinton and her cohorts, I think then all that uh, truth will come out about how corrupt these people are. And hopefully we'll see some criminal indictments for all those responsible. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next week. Thank you to Nancy for producing and to Derek Condit of mysticalwares.com for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio and making all this possible. So until next time, stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at MysticalWares.com for our huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available. Cosmic Reality Radio is sponsored by Mystical Wares Online Store, where coupon code SAVE10 will get you 10% off your entire order at mysticalwares.com.